Welcome to episode four of the Mere Mortal Marathon podcast, where you'll hear what it's like to train for and run your first marathon. I'm Dwayne France, and I'm joined by Coach Morgan Lattimore, the people's coach. And together, we're going to share the week-by-week training journey that will take me, just a regular guy and a mere mortal, to the finish line of my first marathon. And if I can do it, you can too. Thanks for joining us for the Mere Mortal Marathon podcast. I'm excited to be going on this journey with you and pleased to invite you to join me along the way. There's a couple of ways that we can be connected. Follow the podcast wherever you listen to them and you'll be notified when a new episode comes out. You can also see where the journey takes me by connecting on Strava by going to strava.com forward slash athletes forward slash M3 podcast. The link will be in the show notes as well. There you'll see if I'm following the training plan like I'm supposed to. And finally, before we get into the meat of the episode, you can find all of the episodes in the fundraising page for my charity partner, The Second Wind Fund, at coloradogives.org forward slash M3 podcast. The mission of The Second Wind Fund is to decrease the incidence of suicide in children and youth by removing barriers to treatment. They match children and youth at risk for suicide with licensed therapists in their communities and pay for up to 12 sessions of therapy when there's a barrier for treatment. If you appreciate the show and what Coach Morgan and I are doing, show a bit of love by throwing some change in the tip jar by going to coloradogives.org forward slash M3 podcast. So this is the first training week episode. As Coach Morgan mentioned at the end of our coaching call, he gave me the first week's running assignment, easy and steady runs for 30 minutes over five days a week. He also included a link to a YouTube video on running slow, which I'll also include in the show notes. The goal this week was to see how my body reacted at the beginning of training and how responsive I was. He also asked that I give him a recap of the run afterwards, how my mind was, how my body felt, etc. So check out our first coaching call reviewing the week and his insights, and we'll come back afterwards to wrap things up. Week one down. Week one down. Excuse me if I like do this a couple times. So for everybody, like, it was like 29 degrees when I started running this morning. So coach leads by example. So I want to make sure that I do that every day, but it was really cold. <laughs> it's really cold. That can linger a little bit once you, yeah. you get that cold air in your lungs for a long run. Yeah. So how are you feeling, man? Well, we are into week one and I know I talked to you about like maybe having three weeks of training on there, but I only put one. How do you feel about that? What are you thinking? I I felt really good. I know that you said these are just going to be some beginning adaptability weeks. Like when I saw it and we were doing five runs of three miles each. And so I'm thinking is 15 miles a week going to get me to a marathon, but I know that you've got a plan and I, and especially this being the early week, this is a little less than I'm usually running every week. I was just, I think really having fun with holding back or having the patience of it, I guess. But like we learned something this week, though. Learning has occurred this week, right? Learning, so learning <laughs> has, I, it has occurred this week. I watched a video you shared, the running slow video. And mm-hmm. it's one thing to watch the running slow video and hear somebody say you need to run slower. And I think this is something runners hear all the time. You need to train at two minutes lower than your 5K pace. But running slow is hard. Very. I, mean, I always ask people that. Like, and so... Over time, like, I don't know if it's even actually a thing, but like when I work with athletes, the two minutes slower than your 5k pace has become a rule of mine Hmm. because some people that I work with really probably 90% of them when I first get them don't understand the difference between slow and fast. So we get into this one pace run, right? And we, you say, oh, this is easy. It's easy because it's repetitive. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense, you do it all the time. So 
you really don't think it's hard because you always can do it and you can do it. And you think if it's hard, then it will be challenging and I won't be able to do it. That's really not the case. Right. And so easy is like how it affects your muscles, how it affects your cardiovascular system, your breathing, your heart rate. And there's a lot of variables that we can look at. But as I learned over time is you come to people and they're like, oh, 930 is my easy pace. Well, if 930 is your easy pace. Okay. That means likely, and this is not, this is just the shot in the dark. Likely you will be able to run a 730 pace for a 5k. And then now you'll hear, oh, I can't run no 730 pace. So we always go to a 5k pace. So if you can run 830 or, or nine minutes, well, you back off, then it's slow. And people always say, well, well, man, that's really slow. I'm almost walking. You ain't almost walking, right? That takes around like 13, 14. And I know people still running at 13 minute miles, depending on their fitness level. When you get around 14 to 15 minute miles, then it may be a little bit of walking in the pacing, right? But usually you can still run at that pace. Like it really depends your leg length, who you are, your fitness, like everybody runs at a different pace. But obviously the slower you go, the more you're going to be prone to a fast walk to a slow walk. And the key is right now, I know as we talked about like, oh, only put one week in there, but like, it's easy to put three weeks of training, but should I put three weeks of training or kind of take a snapshot of this week and say, what is he doing? What is he going through? What are the ailments? Because to predict something two to three weeks out when I don't know your body mm -hmm. becomes more challenging. And as I get into it and your body adapts, then we'll do that. But as you gave me some feedback, where you say, okay, I guess I need to slow down. That was the one learning experience too. I learned that your ankle and your knee. And so these are the things that come up when you put them in your post-workout comments that I'm reading. And I, we talked about that, or I, I replied to you. But if we go too far ahead, then we don't allow the body the rest and understanding of what it's going through. And so... As we pick up to a certain load, the body is going to be adjusting, right? And so you'll see a lot of people get hurt in the beginning, right? Because they say, oh, I ramped up too fast. No, the problem is your body gave you signs that it was not happy. And you say, you know what? I'm going to push through, right? Nine times out of 10, either you back off a little bit, let the body rest, recover, then do it again. So it's almost like you move forward, take two steps forward, take one step back, take two steps forward, take one step back, take two steps forward, take one step back. And especially when you have those type of like twinges and things of that, and to the body adapts. And then we go into a week and you say, oh, everything was fine. That tells me the body's ready for the next level. And so we keep you injury free. We keep you in a positive mindset because the more you start having these twinges and these injuries, now we start to have this really negative thought pattern going through, man, am I going to be able to do it when we get to the hard stuff? And so people think about that. So these are the things that are going through my mind when I'm putting the training plan together. So this week... We did five runs. We had two days off based off like our first conversation and a lot of other conversations that we've had about you jumping out of planes. I'm very cautious with like your knees and your back and your hips. Mm -hmm. Okay. I ain't never jumped out of planes, but as being a Marine, I've jumped out a lot of stuff. And so my lower back was killing me didn't run this morning. So I took some relief by midway carrying packs and them packs are like 80 pounds sometimes with the gear and all the other stuff. And so. You have to know the athlete. Okay, what are they going through? Are they strong enough to do this? It's easy to say, oh, I can take more, but it's more the right thing for you at this time. Does that make sense? Oh, it absolutely does. No, I definitely, again, the idea of, oh, that's it this week, knowing that there is a plan, 
But one thing I realized this week was you still get a workout, use different muscles. I think I, I found like I was sore where I didn't think I'd be sore. I'm only running three miles a day. And I tell myself, oh, I'm, I run more than that. But there was some, and I think I'd even mentioned it to you a couple of times in my post-workout comments, is I could feel it in my thighs, in my calves, running in that slower pace mm-hmm. than I normally did running a minute, a minute 30 faster. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of a way to say it the easiest so I don't make this complicated for anyone listening. I don't want to insult anybody's intelligence and I don't want to talk over nobody's head at the same time. So as you are running, right, a lot of people are like, oh, you slow down. That's going to be, you know, because now if you look at your foot and you had a slower cadence, that means your foot is going to come into contact with and nine times out of 10, it's a pavement or a treadmill or a trail. And usually when it's pavement, it's going to be more wear and tear on your body, negative energy pushing back through you, right? And so when you have a slower cadence, you allow that concrete to put that negative energy through your body, from your foot to your ankle, to your knee, to your hip, to your lower back, to your neck. It's like a a car wreck where, you know, a tissue box can become a projectile just because it absorbs the energy of the impact, Mm. right? And so that's the same thing of your body. And so as you speed up, that means your cadence ideally will be quicker. So your ground contact time, the time that your foot touches the pavement should be less. And so you will get less. And so that's where you see people like, oh, what are the cadence for? Well, the cadence, one thing is for where you reserve your muscles, you reserve your tendons and all that energy in your body. And you so you don't beat yourself up. That really hard, slow pounding. You ever been on a treadmill and somebody come next to you and they were like, boom, 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 boom. Either he's not just not strong enough yet, he don't have the muscle activation that he needs, or he just has no running economy, right? And that pounding, boom, 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 that's all negative energy going through your body. So over time, you're gonna, you're gonna, your body's gonna get fatigued, right? If you lessen the ground contact time and you turn it over, now you prolong that process so you can run more efficiently, faster, right? And so when people are looking at that piece, is okay. What are you doing? And, I, and sometimes, depending on what run watch you have, you can have a cadence sensor or a pace sensor where it, it measures ground contact time, vertical oscillation, and it also the turnover rate for your cadence or strides per minute. And so when you have that information, now I can say, okay, this is what's going on. Let's work on these things to maximize the efficiency throughout the race and in training. Because the key is, if I can make you more efficient, and keep your body rested as much as possible, we can have bigger gains in training mm-hmm. and we can prevent the unneeded downtime from just pushing through. And, it, I, and I'm trying not to give a whole lot of information at once, but like it's, it's a very big piece where a lot of people start training for something and they're not listening to their body. And they go into this and they say, before I, like you, I've always ran like this. And then so you just come back and you start doing it and not listening to say, say you just raced. Sometimes when you just race, you still hold on to some of that fatigue on a cellular level. And so you don't really feel it daily, but when you run, your body will react to it over, over a certain amount of volume. And so it's really paying attention to those really minute details. Cause when that stuff adds up, you think about slowing you down. Okay. Letting you know, like you have a faster turnover and then two not striking the ground so hard, that's a lot because you're going to be there to maximize training because you're not going to be down so much. You know, like, oh, I'm tired, my legs hurt, or I didn't have a good pace. And so it's those small little things. And one thing that I would add, even right now, before I look over your training plan, 
is we talked about shoes and you yeah. say you ain't changed your shoes in how long? So, uh, <laughs> and it starts like that. So <laughs> what happened was, so I think the shoes I, I finished up running at half marathon and I had a pair of shoes and these were shoes I had from before that. So I probably had two months or maybe four months, I think before that. And then I was using them intermittently. So they maybe have six, seven months of miles on them. And as we are bigger dudes, right? Mm -hmm. And so this yeah. is where people need to understand my understanding, my, and no more am I orthopedic, right? This is just things I've learned over time. And to speaking to like other coaches and other friends that are doctors and orthopedic surgeons and things like that, most shoes are made for the little people, right? And I say little, that means under 185 pounds. There are shoes out there that are made for us and we can wear the shoes that are made for the person under 185 pounds. But what does that mean? Your shoes are like shocks on a car. As they go bad, right, they start to tear the car up because they're no longer absorbing that negative shock. Same thing. And so if your shoes are getting wore down where you're causing fatigue on your body, that is not needed. And it's always, everybody's different. People run differently and things of that nature. And you start to get negative returns when you run in a shoe too long. And so I always tell people three to four months, Four months being the max, especially if you're putting in some good, some good mileage, say 25 to 40 miles a week, let's just throw that number out there. You need to be paying attention to like, okay, my feet start to hurt more on the back end of the shoe. For me, I start to feel my shin start getting tight. I said, okay. And then if you, uh, I had an athlete recently, he's getting new shoes. He's had the same shoes for about the same amount of time. So I said, when you get the new shoe, put the new shoe on one foot, put the old shoe on the other foot. Mm -hmm. And then I want you to press down and look at the soles and you will see how the old shoe just almost sometimes bottoms out, right? That's not a good thing. And then a new shoe will be that firm and that's what you're looking for. And so like, it's all these small pieces that I'm learning about you before I increase your value, mm -hmm. right? And give you two or three weeks of training. Most time what you do is you throw three weeks on there and guess what? People don't really connect as much because they, they don't need to really ask you questions because they can see it. Right. But this forces us, forces you to be like, okay, so what's next? Why I don't have two weeks? Why I don't have three weeks? Or why, what is it looking like this week? And it forces a conversation for us to have that both of us learn from. And that's really important. And as, as you get deeper in this, we'll on here, cause we're doing a podcast, we'll talk often and wait, actually more often than Anyone else I talk to during training, right? Not unless they're just an athlete that likes to talk on a weekly basis, which I have those as well. But usually life is happening to people. And it's okay not to have a, a phone call with me every week. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a text message. Sometimes it's just me replying to your comments on training peaks. But we need to have some type of two-way dialogue to really hone in. And as we would get closer, say we wasn't doing the podcast. And as we get closer to really working together a lot, you probably would ask less questions. I wouldn't know what your body is. You try to know what I expect. And there will still be days I'm like, hey, what's going on with this? Or, are you okay? Are you feeling okay? You missed two days in a row. What's going on? This was slower. Did you, how many times did you stop the pee? It's just random questions. How was your nutrition this week? And you were like, oh, I was supposed to be working on nutrition. You know what I mean? And so it's those little bitty pieces of how we get on the phone call before we get on the podcast every time. We start talking and like things come out because there's so much information mm -hmm. what people I think need to understand out of basically everything that I've said today is you can't get brain dumped the amount of information you need to be successful at a marathon. So it's not about training 
for 16 weeks or 12 weeks that you're getting your body ready. Yeah, everybody knows that needs to happen. But there's so much information that needs to be taken into account, planning, strategy, pacing, and learning your body that you need time to actually have repeated repetition so it could be second nature. Yeah, and that's yeah, absolutely. And I think even that, that piece of you asking me about how old my shoes are. If I was doing this on my own, I likely wouldn't have changed my shoes. I likely would have gone through the next four months with the same six-month-old shoes, not thinking anything differently, because I'm thinking about, obviously, ramping up miles mm -hmm. and pace and things like that. And I'm not thinking about those things like shoes. And so you're absolutely right. Yesterday, went down to the local running store. We did the world tour. We tried some different things on. And of course, like typical, I just walked out with a newer version of what I had before anyway. Right? <laughs> it's good to try though, because right. sometimes oh, it, that next version ain't the same as the last version. No, this was a little too soft. I like that. But there was, I would not have done that had you not even asked that question. I was like, oh, you're right. I didn't even think about how many miles my shoes had on them until you asked. Yeah. And then one people, some people are, oh, I could wear my shoes longer and they might be lighter. They might run differently. But guess what? For you, you got knee issues, you got ankle mm -hmm. issues. We got to minimize the impact on those. Like I need to get, I need to nip that in the butt in the beginning before mm -hmm. I give you 20 mile run. And then you get injured. I'm, then I ask you, when's the last time you changed your shoes? Well, that's too late now. We didn't waste this three to four months of training for one second of a conversation that we could have or sure. a question that should have been asked at the beginning. And so this is the part I always tell people, the first 30 to 60 days are very important because this is where I get to know you, you get to know me, and information needs to be given back and forth because you know your body. And I am very happy with your post-workout comments. I say that because your feedback is what I need because it tells me like, as we start the, the pacing, we worked on that. Well, I seen the knee and stuff, then I can ask the shoe stuff. Well, if you never put the comments in, I don't, I'm not there. And even if I was there, I don't know what you feel, right? And so that's where having the right athlete coat relationship where if you are an athlete that is, and just, I'm speaking to people now, like if you are an athlete that is scared to be open, share the TMI, share the non-TMI stuff, right? How can that person that you've hired to help you assist you in your needs? It's no different than going to the doctor, going to school. Like if, they, if you don't tell the counselor exactly what you're looking for, they can't give you the right classes. And if you got kids or spouses, if the other party doesn't communicate their needs with clarity, then how can you expect them to give you what you're asking for or let you know that you're on the right path in what you're doing? And so that's where you have to find a coach. And not every person is right for the right coach and every coach is right for the right person, but you have to interview coaches, right? Have a two or three and talk to them. Think of your friends. Think of the people that you're close to, that you enjoy having conversations with. Is that conversation with that coach that easy? And if things are lost in translation, you don't like the dialogue, you don't like the personality, then you don't need that person in your life because if that communication doesn't exist, you're paying for nothing, really, mm -hmm. because the, everything that they need to give you comes from them. Anybody can print out, I can print out a plan and give them, here's, here's a Jeff Calloway plan, go try that out. You know what I mean? But that's not assisting you at the level that I've been hired to do. So I hope that really helps some people out because I think that's a big piece and people just, oh, I need a coach. I'm going to hire this person. And, so my, and I get a lot of people that say, nobody, my coach never talks to me this much. Well, how did he help you or she help you? 
hence they're no longer existing. The first is because they're talking to me, <laughs> talking to the, talking the past tense. No, right. I appreciate that. And it goes back to, I think, that communication in the notes after the training. When you say that it's important for us to listen to our body, I like I knew that my knee or my ankle was hurting, but it, that communication with you required me to be attuned to my body, knowing even when I went into the run that, hey, I'm going to be telling coach about what's going on with my mind or what's going on physically and what's going on, all these things that helped me during the runs before and after the runs to be more attuned and pay attention to my body. But also it helped me communicate back to you something that like my knee and my ankle were like. And I think I even put it in there, level one on a on the pain scale of 10, like really minor. But like you said, I wouldn't be doing myself justice or giving you the benefit without even just saying, hey, there's a hint of something here. Because that feedback is very important because is one day it might be level one, next day it be level two, or I'm in, I'm giving you a certain amount of volume. And I notice that every time I give you that volume, the knee gets worse or a certain series of workouts back to back. And I'm like, okay, we need to switch this up, right? I have an athlete that is training for running and he has his ankle twinges and things of that nature. And so there was a certain amount of volume I was giving him and his body was reacting negatively. And so we had to go to a different type of schedule. So I had to move some things around and allow his body to recover if I was going to do something hard or long. And so he can go into it without aggravating that, that issue. And so that's a very important thing. But for those that are, that have coaches that don't get feedback or don't, or have a virtual training schedule that they don't put comments on, that's your journal training for this race. Then you'll be able to go back mm -hmm. and look at this and say, okay, these are the things that I've learned. And like I told you in the beginning, if I do my job right, I won't need to tell you what to do on race day. Right. You'll know by the end. That's the whole point of training. Why do I need to tell you what to do on race day? The whole point is, and train and prepare you for that so you know what to do on race day. Here's the plan. And so what I'll have you do is as we, we talk, I think we talked about goals and what's the pacing that we'll do. Well, you'll know that. You'll know. We, you'll be able to understand that because about six to eight weeks out, I'm going to ask you to give me your race plan. I'm going to give you a, I have a shell that I'm going to, I'm going to send to you and I'm going to say, give me your race plan. And I get it that far out because I'm going to look it over and then we're going to talk about it because I'm going to make some adjustments and things of that nature. But you should already be looking to say, okay, this is the pace that I'm going to run. Because if you don't know that in training, what are we talking about in training? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's helpful. And one of the other things you mentioned about road running versus trail running, I am a road runner. I almost exclusively run on roads. And some of that is psychological, given my previous injuries in my previous, I'm talking about like when I injured myself in 2012. I find that I tend to shy away from trails because of the relative instability of the trails. Really, my left ankle is the thing that I'm concerned about. I've been feeling the right ankle this week, but this idea of the negative energy on a road or a concrete trail versus a trail trail, that's one thing that I know that I need to get out on trails more and I need to overcome that psychological concern for injuries. Honestly, it keeps me away from trails. You just need to pick the right trail because the technical difficulty of a trail is it can be very technical, it can be moderate, it can be easy. And easy would could be two things. It could be a paved trail, right? We don't, we're not, obviously we're not looking for that, but there could be single dual track where it's just flat. Depending on where you are, there's no rocks. It's just dirt, right? If we can find a trail that's just dirt and it has no variation of roots and rocks and stuff like that, we just want a softer running field. That's it. It's like, you, like when you run in the grass and 
what happens to that? The ankle does move because the ground is uneven. It's not been smoothed out, but your ankle is twinging because it's weak. And so if we avoid the strengthening of it, the dynamicness of a trail, and that don't mean we go do speed work on a trail. That means like on an easy run, you go to a trail and you just take your time. But your ankle, those small muscles are getting worked because you're moving, your hips, you haven't, and on trail, sometimes you have lateral movements because you got to go around a tree or a branch or you got to step over something, right? It, it just kind of gets you outside the box to engage muscles that you don't normally engage. We get onto that hard pavement and we just go, right? And then you wonder why. And that's why you see a lot of math, athletes or especially runners doing lateral plane type stuff and doing, I guess, you know, the X moving in different diagonal movements and in strength training so they can strengthen those. And it's really knowing people in their bodies and tell them what is, okay, this is probably something that we need to go on. And I would agree that trail might be a good thing for you. That's just what it comes down to is just really understanding what we're getting into. And guess what? Like we, well, we put in 15 miles this week, 15 miles of running. 15 two, miles. Two hours and 30 minutes of running this week. And so the key is what I did see as I, you were talking, I was looking through the training plan and sometimes you say, oh, if there's a twinge, could be a shadow pain just because you've had it so much that you think it's there. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. And that, and I'm just saying maybe, mm -hmm. it, 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 or, or it could really be hurting. But what I would tell you, especially when it comes to, we're talking about your knee and your body and how it, it's impacted. If you have anything that the pain one is three or more, so one being easy and no pain, 10 being like excruciating. If when you get to a three, I don't care if it's soreness, I need to know immediately. And threes are where we need to back off a little bit and the body is telling us something and we need to be listening. Or you have something like, say your knee is hurting really bad. It says a, says a two or a three and it's that way for 48 hours. That's my rule. We need to go see a doctor. We need to go see a professional and have them at least look at it. Because as I am a coach and I understand things, if you are hurt or injured in a certain place or sick for more than 48 hours, you need probably some other help. Like you can probably work through a cold, but if it's something that is feel like it's either staying what it is or getting worse, don't wait until the crap hits the fan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to like, oh, I need to go. Well, we're trying, the key about training is I'd rather you take six days off than six months, right? Take a day off instead of two weeks. Because I, and that's all, just go to see the doctor. You ain't gonna train today. What, I'm not training today? Yeah, but if you get hurt, we're going to be out way longer than one day. So if I need to grab the cane to get up out of bed, that's we a, to we need yeah. to talk. Okay. We need it. to talk. And I'm probably going to tell you, take tomorrow off, rest, you know, get off your feet. And that's why, so recovery is so important because you want to keep the fatigue down, the soreness down, the shoes are important to that, where you're running is important to that because the more time that we take away from training is the less that you can build your fitness. And so we can minimize those things up front. And so you can feel good and be challenging, but feel good through training. That's okay. That is okay. Most of us come from this world, especially at our age, where harder is better. That's what we're taught. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. We train way smarter now. Every in every in every sport, running is more detailed. Triathlon is more. Swimming is more detailed. It could be mixed martial arts. Like just to keep pushing yourself and push yourself, it really doesn't lend to longevity in, in the athletics or in health. And so you really have to be listening to your body and saying, okay, this is what's going on. And I'll end with this. You told me about, as you had to give comments, you were forced to listen to your body. And a lot of people say, 
oh, I got to run that slow. That's boring. That's, I got to run this. That's boring. That's because you're training without a purpose. When he, your purpose was, listen to my body, what's going on, because I need to give the feedback back. Because you need to listen to your body even when I'm not around. And if you're going out there and you're just putting in mindless miles, what are you learning? What are you getting out of? If you're not getting out of, oh, I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to relieve some stress. Okay. Don't be mad when you don't get faster, you don't get stronger, and then you don't get, you, you don't hit those goals that you're looking at because every run should have a purpose. And if it's a stress reliever, that's fine, but don't expect anything else out of it. But if it's where I'm training to be at a certain level at about a certain amount of time, then I need to be gathering information every session. Yeah, no, that's helpful. And I think that in, in the, that's boring, never crossed my mind. I think that the big thing for me, what running does for me is what it does for me psychologically. I enjoy the creative aspect, how it helps me. As you were talking about, you were thinking about this conversation earlier on your run today. That's where I do a lot of my sort of thinking and problem solving, solution seeking and stuff like that. So whether I'm running 10 minute miles or eight minute miles, that's still going on in my mind. But no, I, I really appreciate it. It was a good week. Like you said, I'm a completionist. So I like the all greens. You like the all greens and looking forward to see what comes up next week. I like it. I like it, man. And I think that's the key is like, just keep moving forward, no matter what the pace is and have fun while you're doing it. And I look forward to talking to you next week. Absolutely. Easy day, brother. So week one of 19, we've still got a ways to go, almost five months out, but as you can hear, we're just getting started. Coach Morgan has a plan for me, and hopefully he's made it clear that this is a plan for me. We're not thinking that you're going to be following my training plan to get you to your first marathon, because there are so many different variables. There is one point that I wanted to emphasize that Coach Morgan shared. Training for a marathon is not just about putting the miles in. There's so much more to it than that. You can't get brain dumped the amount of information you need to be successful at a marathon. So it's not about training for 16 weeks or 12 weeks that you're getting your body ready. Yeah, everybody knows that needs to happen. But there's so much information that needs to be taken into account, planning, strategy, pacing, and learning your body that you need time to actually have repeated repetition so it could be second nature. The marathon is as much psychological as it is physical and probably even more so. So hopefully you appreciated this conversation and learned something along the way. Thanks again for joining us for the Mere Mortal Marathon podcast, where you can hear mere mortals like you and me reach our goals as I train for the 2023 Denver Colfax Marathon. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me at Dwayne at VeteranMentalHealth.com. If you want to support a great cause, I'm a charity partner with the Second Wind Fund, Colorado organization that focuses on improving access and delivery of suicide prevention care for children and youth at risk for suicide. You could donate to the cause by going to coloradogives.org forward slash M3 podcast. As a matter of fact, if you want to see some exclusive content that I'm going to be sharing, like what the training week looked like, check out the donation page where I'll be posting updates. If you want to reach out to Coach Morgan to show appreciation for the excellent work that he does, or sign up for the People's Coach newsletter, you can find him at morganlatimore.com. All of the links are going to be in the show notes, so thanks for joining us for another episode of the Mere Mortal Marathon podcast. And just remember, mere mortals can do extraordinary things.